Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Sophia Kant, and I'm an attorney with Stockton and Kant. We have offices in Gardner and in Overland Park at Corporate Woods. And do you want to introduce yourself? I can do that. I'm Glenn Stockton. I'm the managing attorney for the firm of Stockton and Kant. So welcome, everybody. Glad uh, you've joined us for another episode of Life, Legacy, and the Law. Yeah. You want to introduce today's topic? Oh, oh, I guess before we start, we got to go over, we're attorneys, so we got to go over some um, disclaimer here before we get started. So the information provided on the life, legacy, and the law does not constitute and is not intended to constitute legal advice. So instead, all information is for general informational purposes only. Communication of information through this series does not create or constitute attorney-client privilege or relationship. Listeners should contact their own attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this series without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction that you are located. So we are, like I said, we are in Kansas. So if you are um, in Kansas, feel free to contact us, but we are not your attorney just by having this podcast. So go ahead. You want to introduce the topic today? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about Kansas documents and, and uh, you know, here today and what the laws are in, uh, in Kansas. But these laws, you know, are typically similar in, in most states. But, uh, you know, obviously we're going to focus on, can't focus on all 50, so we'll focus on Kansas documents today. So our topic today is talking about the living documents or what are referred to living documents, meaning these are the documents that come into play why you are alive, but can be the ones that impact during times of incapacity. And those documents are your living will, your HIPAA authorization, your health care power of attorney, and your financial power of attorney. And those don't always have to be four separate documents, but typically they are, and that's how we're going to talk about them today. Um, guys, what I would tell you is, these are key disability planning documents. They are vitally important. And I think people often overlook that, the importance that these documents can have, you know, at a time when we become incapacitated and cannot make decisions for ourselves. For those of you who don't get these documents done, if you became incapacitated, the courts have a plan in place for you, right? Through the probate court, through conservatorships, guardianships, they can appoint somebody to make those decisions for you. But this is how we keep our loved ones and ourselves out of court. They're simple documents, but they're things that I think people don't give enough thought to. In my opinion, a whole lot of attorneys, I don't think, think this stuff through fully. And they don't think through how these things work in the end game. So I'm going to start us off here and talking um, first about the living will, right? Um, living will often confused with what people is termed a DNR or do not resuscitate. So a separate document. This is not a DNR. The living will, if I were the one naming this document, I would have called it a dying declaration, right? This is the pull the plug document. This is where we make decisions about end of life care in advance. And guys, one of the number one things that we hear as to why people do planning, we talked about this last week on our podcast, one of the number one reasons people come see us or see attorneys to do estate planning is because they don't want to be a burden to our family. And if you guys don't get these documents in place, you're going to be a burden. And the living will is one of those, because if you don't make this decision, 
your loved ones may have to make it for you. And if there's disagreement, they may end up in court. And if we remember the Terry Shivo situation, young lady down in Florida, um, back at the, uh, I think it was somewhere near the turn of the century. Um, this is a document she was missing. She was in a persistent vegetative state. Her family was in disagreement about whether or not to remove, remove the feeding tubes. And we saw this play out on national TV because she didn't have this simple document in place. So as I said, living will, I would have named it dying declaration, pull the plug document. It comes into play in two circumstances. Circumstance number one, two doctors, and it takes a minimum of two doctors under state law, two doctors certify in writing that you are dying and there's nothing that they can do to stop it. So they've certified you have some sort of terminal, incurable, um, untreatable condition or illness that is going to lead to imminent death, right? So you're dying, there's nothing to do to stop it. This is the document where you lay out what level of care you would have, what you would want. Universally, to this point in my career, universally, although I've had some clients who've contemplated being kept artificially alive, universally, my clients have said, once the doctor said I'm dying, they can't stop it. They don't want to be kept hooked up on artificial life support, right? Hooked up to the machine that just keeps our chest moving up and down. Universally, they've said, in that situation, pull the plug. Give them comfort care. Don't let them suffer, but don't keep them artificially alive. And this is the document where you would make that decision so your loved ones don't have to make that for you. The second scenario where this document comes into play is when two doctors certify in writing that you are in a persistent vegetative state. You're in a coma or some other way as uh, you know, deemed uh, unresponsive. And the doctors say, this is permanent. You're not going to be coming out of this vegetative state. And the vast majority of clients that we've worked with over the years say, in that situation, I don't want to be kept alive indefinitely on artificial tube feedings and hydration, pull the, pull the tubes, right? Or don't put the tubes in to begin with, the feeding tubes, if it's already deemed that I'm not going to come out of this. Um, but if you don't make this decision, then your family does it. So... Those two situations, dying, nothing due to stop it, persistent vegetative state, you make the decisions for level of care that you want, and you put that into a document called a living will. All right, the next document is the HIP authorization. And Sophia, I'll have you talk a little bit about the HIP authorization and really the importance of this one. Right. So the HIPAA, if you've heard HIPAA before, it's the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. You don't go around saying that. It's a mouthful. So we call it the HIPAA authorization here. And so what this document is, this gives you, you have the ability during your lifetime to say, these are the individuals that I want the doctors and the hospital to release my health care information to. And so why is this important? Well, let's say that something happens to you. Let's say that you had a stroke. And you are taken, you know, you are married to your husband, you have a stroke, and you are taken in a rush to the hospital by ambulance. Your husband comes along and says, hey, I want to know how's my wife doing. But they're going to say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you any information because you don't, you haven't, you know, your wife hasn't signed a HIPAA. So we can't release any of that healthcare information to you. And so it's very important that, you know, you go home that night, you don't know what's going on with your wife. You know, that's very stressful for you because your wife didn't go ahead and sign that HIP authorization in advance saying that you can release healthcare information to my husband. And 
surprising to a lot of people that just by being married does not mean that you have the ability to have healthcare information or access to their healthcare information, right? And so that surprises a lot of people. I think a lot of people don't expect that, but that's the situation. And the doctors and the hospitals, they are not supposed to give you healthcare information for your spouse um, without this document. So it's very important. Another important, um, you know, before aspect- we move on, Sophia, can I comment on, on that yeah. before we move on to the next second? Because, you know, you talk about that. People do assume that they're going to be able to get medical information from the doctors and nurses and, you know, medical staff about their spouse. They also think that they can get that information about their adult children. And the reality is that under the law, they can't. Now, sometimes HIPAA um, rules are not always honored or adhered to strictly. And sometimes doctors and healthcare professionals will release information even without the HIPAA authorization. But under law, they're not really permitted to do that. Um, our healthcare information, our healthcare uh, diagnoses, situations, treatment, all that is protected private information. And unless we've given the hospitals or healthcare professionals authority to release the information, they can't. But people think that, and that's true when people move off to, you know, their, their children go off to college or you know, we just assume that if they're in an accident and something happens to them, that we would have the ability to get information and make decisions on their behalf. But the reality is you have, do not have that authority. Once they turn 18 and I'm an independent adult, unless you've somehow been appointed by the court as their guardian, you no longer have that situation. They may still be in high school. Once they turn 18 and of legal age, at that point in time, you no longer have that authority to be able to make those decisions on their behalf. So these are key, vital disability planning documents. And I think that HIP authorization is often overlooked. It just seems like a pain in the rear to fill it out every time we go to the doctors. But guys, it matters. And Sophia and I could give you lots of examples of situations mm-hmm. where people did not have a simple thing such as a HIP authorization and the stress and burden that that caused them because they they lack that one simple document. So these things matter. Yep. yep. Yeah, and I would say as soon as you turn 18 years old or your child turns 18 years old, you need to be looking at getting one of these HIPAA authorizations in place. Because like you said, that child goes off to college and something happens, you can't get a hold of that child. You call the hospitals, you're looking for your child. They can't tell you if your child is there. They can't give you any information. So, you know, as soon as you turn 18, you need to be having one of these documents. So. The next document is the healthcare power of attorney. Um, so the HIPAA authorization is just who has the ability to receive medical information, access medical information. The healthcare power of attorney is the document through which you appoint somebody to make healthcare decisions when you can't. Right. So you're appointing a person or persons to make decisions about your your medical care, your healthcare. When you're not able to do so yourself, you're in that vegetative stuff. You bumped your head. You're somehow unable to um, provide the information. Maybe it's dementia, something like that, and you've appointed people. Here's what we find. The vast majority of healthcare power of attorneys, I don't care if they got it from their doctor, downloaded it off the internet, got it at the hospital, went to another attorney, right? They almost all read the same. And it appoints someone, so let's take the married couple situation, 
that uh, maybe with some adult children that says, in the event I'm unable to make uh, medical decisions for myself, I appoint my spouse. If my spouse can't do it, then I appoint my daughter. If my daughter can't do it, then it's my son. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, not necessarily. But I tell people, let's think through how this stuff works when we need these documents. And this is where I think a lot of people go wrong. A lot of attorneys go wrong with not just the healthcare power of attorney, but in estate planning in general. I don't think we're thinking through how does this stuff really work? There's nothing wrong with that scenario of appointing my spouse. My spouse can't do it. Then it's one child. If that child can't do it, then another child or you know, any one individual you want. But there's nothing in the law that says it has to be only one person. And so let's think this through what this might look like. So um, husband and wife, and let's say they've got three adult children and the children all get along well. Um, and maybe uh, two of them live local and one lives off somewhere else. Um, local boots on the ground can matter. But for that couple, one thing they might want to consider doesn't mean it's the right answer for them. But what if they appointed, you know, their spouse as their primary um, health care power of attorney? But if their spouse was not available, then any of the three kids, right, as co-power of attorney with power to act independently. We certainly don't want to create a situation where they all three kids have to be, you know, contacted before decisions can be made. But any of the three of them can make decisions on your behalf. It doesn't have to be just one person at a time. Why would we want that? Well, let's think through how this might work. Let's say that, you know, you've developed dementia or you have some condition where you've got a long-term stay in a, a hospital or some other healthcare facility and you're unable to make healthcare decisions for yourself. If you put that decision on one of your kids, and maybe some of you have found yourself in this situation, you put that decision on one kid, their life can often feel like it's on hold. That cruise they were planning to take, that vacation they want to go on, they feel like they got to put on hold because they need to be there for mom and they need to be there for dad because they've got these doctor's appointments coming up. So they canceled the cruise. Um, you know, they, they just, their life is on hold. You know, they got a busy week at work and the burden that this has put on them because they've got to constantly be available 24 seven to do this. So what if, you know, I had said my spouse, my, if my spouse can't do it, then any of my three kids, right? Any of the three of them can make decisions independently. So if my daughter says, you know, maybe she's the one who's primarily handling it, but she's got a busy week at work or she's taking that cruise, she can say to her siblings, hey, guys, I, I'm going to be out of town. Um, I need you to be there for dad next week. He's got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. Then he's going to go in for something else on Wednesday, whatever the case is. They can share that work. We don't have to pick favorites and we can divide it up. So we can have one person at a time. We can have multiple people. The concern is always, well, what, what if they don't agree? What if there's disagreement? Well, what I will tell you is, in my experience, I mean, if you've got a dysfunctional family to begin with, you probably don't want to do this. Pick one person at a time. Don't put multiple people in there. But for most of my clients, the vast majority, I've been doing this for a lot of years, when we appoint multiple people, the kids are not fighting and arguing over this stuff, especially if we take away that pull-the-plug decision, right, the end-of-life decision. That one there will can be disagreement on and often is. You make that decision for yourself. But when it comes to routine health care, well, my experience is the kids aren't fighting about this stuff. They can have some disagreements, but they work this out. They're looking to the healthcare professionals for guidance, and they're not fighting over this stuff. 
you know your kids, you know, you know, the family dynamics. And so it's not necessarily the right decision to put, you know, all the kids on or multiple people. But here's the thing. I don't think people even think through that that's an option. And they're not thinking through, what does this look like if I've got that extended stay in the hospital? You know, am I putting this on one person? And so for me, there's plenty of work to go around. Um, we don't have to pick favorites as parents. That's how I have my healthcare power training set up. That's how my mom had her healthcare power training, how my dad has his set up. And I can tell you when my mom into life, we went through all this, um, it was a blessing where we had this divided up among multiple family members that could be there. So, you know, just think this stuff through. How is this going to work when we get to the point that we need it? And that's what a good attorney should be doing for you. They should be walking you through the steps and helping you make the decision that is right for you. So you want to think this stuff through. So that's the healthcare power of attorney. So we've talked about the HIP authorization, the living will, and now the healthcare power of attorney. The last document, Sophia, I want you to kind of take this one up here, and that's the financial power of attorney, or what's often referred to as the durable power of attorney. So why don't you talk about the importance of this document and what it does? Okay. So the durable power of attorney. This is a document that you create that you appoint certain individuals to make financial decisions for yourself. So we talked about the healthcare power of attorney, that one you appoint somebody to make healthcare decisions for you. Now this durable power of attorney, you appoint somebody to make a to make financial decisions for you. So two separate documents here. Now this document is very important. So arguably one of the most important documents you can have in your estate plan. So if you become incapacitated, um, ill, you fall, you break your leg, you need somebody to go to the bank, deposit that check for you, manage your affairs while you can't get out of the house. You are going to need this document. What happens if you don't have this document? Well, let's get into that first. If you don't have this document, you can't go to the bank, manage your affairs. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to have to go to the court or you're going to have to have somebody go to the court for you, appoint a conservator to manage your affairs at that point. And so we're going to have to get the court involved. Oftentimes, let's say you become incapacitated. We can get it done pretty quickly, um, but we're still going to have to get the court involved and it's going to be much more costly than if we had this document in place. So very important document to have. Now, when we have this document, we can have it be effective immediately. As soon as you sign, we'll have it effective. And so you can, you know, if you fall, you break your leg, your person that you've appointed can take that document with them to the bank. And like I said, deposit that check for you if you need, pay your bills, whatever they need to do to manage your financial affairs. And as Glenn said before, with the healthcare power of attorney, this one, you can appoint one person to serve, or you can also appoint multiple people to serve. So again, that one child um, has a vacation planned. They don't have to put their life on hold because now you're ill and you can't get out. They can both, you know, if you appoint all of your children, all three of your children can serve together. A lot of times this is really convenient that, you know, financial institutions have moved online too. So things can be done over the phone, maybe easier for the child. But I probably, usually I recommend that you have multiple people serve in that position as well, as long as you uh, trust them. So that's the financial power of attorney. Um, yep. And if I could say a few things on that too, yeah. and you know, it's back to 
you know, I don't think people think this stuff through. So one of the things, you know, I, I said the number one thing we hear is the why people come see us. And we talked about this last week was I don't want to be a burden. The second most common reason that we hear is why people do estate planning is we don't want the kids arguing and fighting about things. And one of the big things that causes fighting and arguing the kids, from my experience, having done this for a lot of years, is lack of transparency and lack of differing expectations. So it's one of the reasons in our firm that we want to, you know, have what we call the family meeting. And that's one of those meetings we don't charge for our clients. We've always found that to be a mutually beneficial relationship. You know, we want to meet with the our clients and the key people, decision makers um, in the family and, and typically their children. So the kids know, hey, mom and dad have a plan and here's what you need to know about the plan. Here's where you're going to find things when the time comes. And, you know, they're going to know what the roles are, who's doing what. And so if we're going to have, you know, the kids all on there as co-power of attorney, we need to know that. But it creates transparency. Most of the fighting in our experience it, with family fighting comes from a lack of transparency, especially on the financial side of things. You know, one kid's been put in charge of managing the money for mom and dad. And uh, the other kids just know mom and dad had money, but they went into the nursing home. And the other, you know, one of the kids has been paying the bills and managing the money. And by the time mom and dad die, there's very little left. And they're suspicious, right? Because they didn't know what was going on. And well, yeah, it was expensive to have them in nursing care. So by the, one of the benefits we get by having the kids all on there, we've created transparency. They all have equal access. Usually we recommend the family member, hey, kids, you will decide at the time who's going to take primary responsibility. You don't want to get too many cooks in the kitchen necessarily where, you know, both kids are writing the checks or nobody wrote the check because one of them thought, oh, I thought you were going to do it. You know, figure out who's going to have primary responsibility but they all have equal access. They have that transparency. They have that accountability. Again, it doesn't mean it's right for you, but at least think through it. The other thing I would tell you is, is I go on and I kind of pound my fist and say, guys, these are key disability planning documents. Most powers of attorneys, I mean, I, I will say it's the majority of them still that I see today that people bring in to me are nothing more than a general durable power of attorney. And when I started doing this years ago, that's really all someone needed was a general durable power of attorney. But it's true as in, is, is true in Kansas and is true in most states. Those days are long gone. There are a whole lot of different things that if you want your power of attorney, your agent right under the power of attorney that be able to do certain things for you, they have to be specifically stated or enumerated. And these are the very things that we want our power of attorney to be able to do in the event of long-term care planning, because this document, your financial power of attorney is a key planning document to help us avoid going broke in a nursing home. And we want our power of attorney to have the power to do a whole lot of different things to do some asset protection planning so we can avoid a Medicaid spend down where we have to spend down to $2,000 or less. And this is a key document for that. But yet I will tell you, Virtually every one of these documents I see when they come in, they're absolutely silent on this issue. They don't address it. They're just a general durable power of attorney. And we have no ability to protect the assets when we need them to make the decisions about money that are necessary to be able to sell the home, move the home, protect the home, things like that that we do. So this is a key document. I can't tell you 
the exact percentage, but I will tell you, it's over 80% of the powers of attorneys that we see that have been drafted up. And it's just kind of like I said on the documents earlier, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, drafted by an attorney off the internet, where it came from, they're not giving sufficient powers. When we do estate planning, we want to make sure on our radar screen is long-term care. We hope our clients never need it, but if you do need it, it's expensive. And I don't want to wait till we're sitting, you know, in the chair at the admissions desk at the nursing home to figure out how the heck we're going to pay for this. We need to be planning in advance. We need to make sure that we have people appointed to make decisions and be able to move assets. And if that's important to you, this is the document you're going to do it with. Sophia, also, if you'll talk about it, this is also a document, the only one out of these living documents, this is a document that can get outdated. So talk a little bit about why that is and how often they ought to update their financial power of attorney. Yeah. So a financial power of attorney is, you know, you sign it and you think, you know, you've done, you've done it. You're good to go. You don't need to do anything more, but that is incorrect. So a lot of financial institutions and most of them will not accept a power of attorney after it's a few years old. So I would say for every three to five years, that needs to be updated. If it's, you know, more than five years old, many, many financial institutions will say, this is too old. I'm not going to accept that anymore. You need to go get a new one. Well, what happens if you're the principal, the person who signed that is already incapacitated? They can't sign another one. Well, now we run into issues. We may have to go back and get another conservator appointed. So I would say this really needs to be updated every three to five years. And what we do at our firm is that we say we have that annual review that we don't charge for. We have our clients come in and one of the things that we do at the annual review is sign a new power of attorney. We don't have to prepare a new document. The only thing we do is we take off that last signature page, we put in a new date, we have them sign it, and we staple it back to the back of the power of attorney. And they're good to go. And that keeps it updated and current and allows financial institutions to be able to rely on that document. Right. Yeah, because most financial institutions, unless they know the, the power of attorney very, very well on a personal level, you know, they get nervous. Somebody comes in there with a document to close out an account. And that, if that document's more than five years old, most banks and financial institutions have internal policies that say, no, nope, we're not going to honor it. Because there's nothing in the law that says a power of attorney expires, but there's also nothing in the law that says a financial institution has to honor it. And they're concerned that they're going to get hauled in in a court case and say, wait a minute, you just let this person come in and clean out the account and, you know, with a document that was 15 years old and you didn't ask more questions and you didn't go through any process of validating this. I mean, this document was old and so they're concerned about it. So they've just adopted policies that say if it's over five years old, they won't honor it. But most people aren't updating their powers of attorney. So, you know, we like to with our clients, as Sophia said, every three years um, through that annual review, just a quick check in. We just want to get fresh ink on it. Really, it's just re-signing the signature page. We haven't necessarily changed any. We could, but we can have the same say the same things that said before. We just want fresh ink on that signature page. So if you haven't updated your financial power of attorney in a while, I would encourage you to do it. If you're already a client of our firm, what I would tell you is when we send out those letters that, hey, it's time to get together for your annual review, do that. Take us up on that, right? Give us one hour out of your year to go in and just make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Because what we're doing in those annual reviews, we're going through, we're confirming plan choices, right? Here's who you name to make decisions for you when you can't, your financial decisions, healthcare decisions. 
Are these still the appropriate people? Here's who you've named, you know, to be the executor, the trustee, the, you know, all those positions that are there. Um, here's who you've named as the beneficiaries. Here's the amount. Is this still the way you want it? So we're just confirming plan choices. And then we're going to talk about how's the your health? How's the health of these individuals there? And so we just want to make sure that the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And then every few years, let's get fresh ink on that power of attorney. So um, I can't stress enough, guys, these are key disability planning documents. You know, once you lose the capacity to make decisions for yourself, um, you often don't get second chances to be able to go in and get these. So you want to have these in place. And before you want to make sure that on your radar screen, as you're doing this, you've got asset protection planning and, you know, nursing home planning on the radar screen. How am I going to pay for that stuff? How am I going to protect the assets? And these are documents where we can make sure that we have a plan in place. And so we should have that on our radar screen. All right. Yep. Anything further you have on the, these topics or these documents, Sophia? I just want to reiterate that, again, this, these documents are for everybody. Uh, you know, they're for anybody who's 18 and over. So if you, your child is graduating high school and going off to college, what better present to provide them than getting them in to see an attorney and getting these documents done? They're vital. They're very important for everybody um, to have. So. You know, and, and and since we've got a few minutes here, I'd like to talk. Not only are they vital, yeah, if over eighteen, we need these documents in place. Now, an eighteen-year-old's documents may not have the same needs as somebody who's in their their sixties. They certainly can be, but uh, their chances of needing long-term care or something are are not very high. But uh, at least have a basic, you know, document in place there. But the other thing let's talk about, Sophia, is accessibility. So we talk about how at the family meeting, one of the things we you know, do is we want the the kids and, and, you know, whoever the appointed people are to know, hey, here's the the plan. Mom and dad have a plan. Here's what you need to know about it. And here's where you will find things. Um, but we also want to make sure, especially on those healthcare um, directives, what are called advanced directives, which would include your HIP authorization, the living will, the healthcare power of attorney, that our healthcare directives, that those are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so one of the things we do with our clients is we use a third party um, company called DocuBank where we're able to upload those in. So they're available 24 seven. And if you go into emergency care, they know, you know, the healthcare professionals know, you know, have access to your documents. They know who your emergency contact is or who your power of attorney is, um, pre-existing conditions you have, what medications you're on, what allergies you have, the things that they would need to treat you in an emergency situation. We want to make sure that stuff is accessible um, to wherever you're at, anywhere in the country that that's accessible. Um, and so we use a third-party company to and help clients get set up with that to make sure it's available and that that way the emergency contact person gets contacted immediately as well. But again, if you're not using something like DocuBank, then you want to be thinking through where are people going to find this? Is it in the lockbox? You know, they need to know where these documents are at. Maybe making sure that your doctors and um, hospitals, uh, that at least your in-network ones, have these documents in place in advance. Right, so right. Yeah, that's all I have on it, Sophia, unless you have any more thoughts on it. No. So very important documents to have. Um, well, let's introduce our next topic for next week. So We'll be back here again next week at 11 or Tuesday at 11 a.m. 
And the next topic will be what is probate and why do we want to avoid it? So um, exciting stuff again. Um, come back and join us again for that for the next topic. And um, we're excited. And happy Mother's Day um, last week and to all the mothers out there. And um, we also had a, a birthday in our firm. So Glenn turned, I think, 39 this year. 29, but. 29, okay. yeah, he is at 29, so. Um, but. So, Thanks yeah, no, it, was a, it was a great weekend. I hope everybody mm -hmm. else had a great weekend as well. And, and hopefully this information, I hope this information is helpful for you guys. And uh, we're throwing a lot at you in here, but they're things that I think that matter. Um, yeah, they certainly matter to us, and I think they should matter to you. So hopefully you find this information um, helpful. If you have any feedback, um, thoughts, we're always open to, to hearing that. Topics you want to hear us talk about, anything, please let us know. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, next week. So have a great rest of your week, guys. All right. Bye.